0: You're listening to the Bible for Normal People, the only God ordained podcast on the internet.
1: I'm Pete Enns. And I'm Jared Bias.
0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the podcast. Our topic today is social justice and the radical gospel, and our guest is Aubrey. Hendricks.
1: Yep, and Obrey is a visiting professor at Columbia University and Union Theological Seminary and author of the book Christians Against Christianity, which has just come out. But this was really based on uh, our reading of of one chapter of that book and and talking about this idea of social justice. Yeah, he really
0: lays out the biblical evidence is the right word for it of how pervasive the idea is. Yeah,
1: and I just think in our – Again, in the circles I would have run in and, and seeing the, the chit-chat on social media, there's this sense in which social justice is pitted against the Bible or against Christianity, which has me scratching my head. So, I think it was great for Obri to lay everything out like that.
0: Yeah, hope you enjoy
2: The most foundational and most often occurring and often used ethical concept in the Bible is justice, mishpat. Justice and doing justice in community or doing right in society together. What you get is social justice, doing justice in society, doing right in society. It's amazing that this is never talked about in Christian circles.
0: Okay, Aubrey, welcome to our podcast. Great to have you.
2: Thank you. Thank you. So glad to be with you.
0: Absolutely. And we're going to talk about a very, very important topic, a timely topic and also, a perennial topic, you know, It just this is something that does not go away. How let, Let's talk about how social justice and social activism, right, doing something about it, is a deeply biblical idea. And not only is that just a worthy topic, but as you know, as well as anyone, in our day and age, in a lot of, you know, quadrants of the Christian faith, at least in, in America, a lot of people really think that social justice, social activism is at best a side issue to the gospel and to scripture, but actually something that's almost like an attack, like a Trojan horse or something. And you're trying to sneak in unbiblical, unchristian ideas in the form of the gospel and stuff like that. And it seems to me, and, and please weigh in here, but I think in the recent months, a lot of the debate about critical race theory is maybe fueling that in a sense, you know, or maybe that's just another example of a similar kind of almost a reflex animosity, I think, that people have for thinking that the gospel
1: has anything to do with justice.
2: Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: So, can you take us through – we just want to dive right into to the Bible. Like, what In your, in your, uh, not just your opinion, um, you have some great scholarly credentials to back this up. Walk us through these biblical texts, and and what does it have to say about justice?
2: Yeah, well, it's amazing that this is never talked, is seldom talked about in uh, Christian circles, and certainly not in right wing evangelical circles. But the most foundational and most often occurring and often used ethical concept in the Bible is justice mishpat justice and you know has various uh nuances of meaning like vindication of rights or deliverance but its main meanings are justice and judgment and judgment in, in, in the sense of discerning between right and wrong this is the most foundational uh, off occurring of ethic in, in in the bible the second most um occurring uh, ethical concept in the bible is Sadaqah, uh, usually translated as righteousness, which gives a, a connotation of personal piety. But it, it really means doing right in the community, doing right in society or doing justice. You know, doing right is doing justice. And when you put the two together, and in fact the two, Mishpat and tzedakah, um they they are also are the most often occurring paired concepts in the Bible. When you put justice and doing justice in community, or doing right in community uh, society together, what you get is social justice, right? Doing justice in society, doing right in society, right? Social justice. And then when you take the quote from Leviticus that Jesus says is so important, that is, is as important as loving God, and that is love your neighbor as yourself, which means wanting the same rights and uh, privileges and opportunities and access to good things of life for others as you want for yourself that really means egalitarianism a, a posture of egalitarianism what we what we find that is foundational to the bible uh the whole biblical witness is uh, egalitarian social justice doing justice in society by by um making sure that the structures and the relationships and the and the laws and the policies um, uh, of society give everyone equal access to the good things of life, and that's it, really, uh, essentially, in a in a nutshell.
0: And you know, I, I, one thing that was sparked uh, as you were uh, explaining that is this whole idea of no partiality. Yes, right. People with more are not of greater value. God does not basically favorite so and that that has in it I think that has in it again this idea of um egalitarianism of you know of shalom of peace this is what it looks like when there's no partiality and you know loving your neighbor as yourself as you were pointing out is that's that seems to have like an egalitarian notion baked into it and and i think I think the from what you're saying here's where I think people are going to maybe need a little bit more help. Mishpat, justice. Justice seems to imply some – it's not individualistic because there's a communal nature to that. But righteousness is the individualistic word for a lot of people. Righteousness is – it's sort of – this is how – I mean, Jared, at least for me, this is how I think a lot of people understand righteousness, it's, I have this quality about me mm-hmm. that as a Christian, God bestows upon me because I have faith in Jesus. So, he sort of changes me on the inside. It's almost like a disposition, an inner cleansing, but that's not what it means, is it? <laughs> in, in the Hebrew scriptures, that's certainly not what it means.
2: No, it's, it, it doesn't mean uh, personal piety, apostate, personal piety. When we look at at the, the culture um, in which the, uh, the Biblical witness, almost every book of the Bible, uh, except for the more uh, Greco-Roman ones found later in the New Testament. In the Bible, the, the culture is, is essentially dyadic. In other words, it's all about the community. There is no word for individual in uh, Biblical Hebrew. The term is always ha'am, the people, the community. And so when you talk about righteousness, Righteousness is not Sadaqah so righteousness is not is, is not individualistic because that was not that, that was not the, the cultural the, the cultural climate that was not the culture that people grew up in. So it had to do everything has to do with its impact on the community. So one is righteous if one is doing right by others in community. Right? So it's like now Jesus you know, gave us holistic sense of spirituality when he said, "Love your Lord your God with all, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is vertical, and love your neighbor as yourself, which is horizontal." And what Sadaka really d- deals with is this horizontal notion of of, of loving uh, loving our neighbor. It's 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 um, and it is a reflection of the vertical. In other words, um, loving our neighbor or doing justice in society is uh is the reflection of one's relationship with God actually is the only evidence of yeah. one's uh, relationship with god does does that make sense
0: oh it makes a ton of sense and just you know again something that's uh, is sparking in my mind here as I hear you're talking and i'm I'm thinking of the new testament we not we're not going to go there, but you know very uh, commonly we hear about the righteousness of god and that's a place where I think a lot of people land They see, God is righteous. God has this inner characteristic of piety or perfection. But even there it doesn't mean that. It's it's God does right by his people. And for for Paul's theology, it is saving the people by his own sacrifice of himself, so to speak. Right. So even there, it's 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 very much communally related. It's it's a word that means nothing apart from the effect that an act has on the well-being, the shalom of other people. And that is, that seems so uh, foundational to me, you know, it's hard to get away from that notion, so.
2: And if we get away from that notion, then we get away from the foundational meaning of, of, the, of the biblical witness. And you mentioned um, righteousness in the, the, the New Testament, we, we, I think you mentioned it in relation to, to Paul. But the term that, that is used um, in the Gospels, dicusune, well, and Paul used it too. It, it, it doesn't just mean, it means also justice. It exactly. has a full meaning, yeah. right? Righteousness and justice. So we talk about the justice of, of God yeah. and the judgment of God. Well, we know what the judgment of God is because Jesus tells us in Matthew 25, 31 through 46, right? And what, what the judgment of God is, is if you have, try to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and do right by people in society as you as you have done that then you have done it to God and then we're told that those who do that how does it how does it end it says the just ones um, enter into into paradise um, that's that's my uh, paraphrasing of course yeah, yeah but um but it says the justice the right it says the righteous but it means the just ones, right? The just ones, it needs to be translated as the just ones enter into eternal life, right? And so when we have these translations that don't give the full dimension of a word or don't give the dimension of a word that does not fit into uh, pietistic notions, then it gives a whole different meaning and flavor to to the passage in which, which it occurs. And, and that's part of the, the, the real problem here. We have blinders, we have folk who in, in the current age in our society who see things in terms of individualism and read individualism into Paul, and they read it back also in their translations of the text as, as having uh, some kind of um, individualistic meaning when those who wrote the biblical text and live the biblical text didn't, didn't have any notion, individualism at, at all. It was always about what's good for the community, what it's about for the community. So, we have Simeon, right, in the temple um, in Luke 2, and, uh, you know, uh, Jesus is brought to Simeon by his parents, but what, we're, what are we told Simeon's doing? That he is in the temple day and night praying, not for, his, for himself, uh, not for his own welfare, He's praying for the consolation of the people, of his people, and that is reflective of the kind of cultural mindset, uh, uh, the cultural lens to which we should view the biblical witness.
1: Then maybe let's back up a little bit because we have, a, you know, a disconnect in our culture. I, d- I do feel like there are a large swaths of Christians who would say social justice, like you said, is, a, is at best a distraction. At worst, it's actually anti-Bible, but at best, it's a distraction. The real work is getting people saved, you know, say the sinner's prayer, get them to heaven and, and move on. And then there's others who see, as, as we're talking here, social justice is sort of the foundation of the biblical witness. So, where where do those divide? Like, what are the reasons why we might go one direction or the other in this? I'm trying to kind of understand what leads one to ignore the foundations of the biblical witness, and move toward now to a place where there are people who would say it's anti-biblical to to see it that way. Like, how how does that happen?
2: Well, you know, I, if we look at John MacArthur who released this very very tragic misunderstanding called the statement on social justice, and and we look in this case the way that that the, that he engages social justice and in his commentary, it's like. This is a political stance, a political bias that folk have because social justice, many people see fighting for social justice as threatening their ascendancy, threatening the status quo. Threatening their politics. Yes. And uh, MacArthur's case and those right-wing evangelicals who think that way, that's largely the case that um, shot through their theology is ignoring the, the the radicality of the gospel and using it as a prop for the status quo but this is not new it goes back uh, as far as constantine it goes certainly goes to the translation of the king james bible which removed the term tyrant that was used quite often in the Bishop's Bible that was just, just translated like 50 years before the King James Bible. Well, you read the King James Bible and it's clear that every kind of reference in there that, that, that might inspire to folks to rise up against a, a monarchy or, or an unjust mm-hmm. hierarchy, that they are translated in, in, a, in, in a more domesticated, more threatening way. And mm-hmm. this same mentality we see in, in right-wing evangelicals because right-wing evangelicals, I mean, part of their their theology is, is, is white nationalism and underpinned by white supremacy, which by definition means they want to maintain the status quo. Now, mm-hmm. there are other folks who do not subscribe to those kinds of, you know, dominationist and racialist politics. But so many Christians, so much of Christianity should really be called polyanity because they read, the Gospels through the prism of Paul, who's coming out of more Greco-Roman cultural milieu, and so he does give the sense of of of, this, of salvation being a, about individualism. It's about working out your own salvation. I think he uses that uh, he uses that term. But in the biblical witness, certainly in the from the Hebrew Bible, salvation and deliverance wasn't about over yonder. It was about deliverance from the oppression in this world, That's, we get, so we get that from the Exodus and we get that in different different ways, and, and also we know that because throughout all but the very tail end of the, of, of the Hebrew Bible, I, I think, there is no notion of an afterlife. We don't see any sense of the notion of an afterlife. So deliverance can't be about an afterlife or being uh, delivered into e- eternal life. It is about being delivered in this, this world. Paul changes that, see? And most of Christendom seems to lean more toward Paul
1: than toward the Jesus of the Gospels. Well, in some ways, it's, I mean, what I'm, I'm hearing too is it's it, that trajectory continues to go down. So, maybe, you know, Paul kind of moves the needle a little bit, then you have kind of Constantine in the Middle Ages, and we just kind of keep moving that needle more and more and reading back into uh, the text our own cultural context and milieu to where now it's, it's even difficult to see, for instance, that might even be pretty mind-blowing for a lot of people to hear that the afterlife isn't really mentioned in the, in the Hebrew Bible. It, while very much true, we've all been taught to sort of, to skate over in that, that fact and and find those places where we can kind of wedge in our current views of the afterlife. And so there's just so many layers of mm-hmm. cultural context over and over and over that it. I that's what I'm, I guess for my you know the my uh, tradition and the people in my family and others around. It, there's so many layers that it would have been very difficult for them to cut through that and to see the social justice that seems quite plainly present in the right. text.
2: Right, that's what I'm getting at. I mean, it's not taught. It's taught as a a text that is more concerned with the vertical relationship, you know, Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. with going
2: to heaven and personal piety, you know, uh, in in the sense of, uh, like we used to, like old folks say in the black church, giving honor to God who's ahead of my life, you know, (laughs) that's a vertical thing. They're not talking about giving honor to God who has taught me to try to make the world a more just world. They're taught this individualistic, personal, pietistic approach. And so many people can't envision anything differently because to them, it's all about being saved and having personal salvation, which is about entering into eternal life in the hereafter. But that is not the predominant way that that Jesus talks about things in the gospel. He mostly talks about what's going on on earth. He talks about poor people and suffering and oppression more than anything else other than Mm -hmm. God.
1: Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the million-dollar protection package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.
0: You know, what I find interesting is that uh, you know Richard Hayes, I think it's Richard Hayes at Duke, he says that, you know, getting to, into Paul a little bit, that the for Paul, the goal of the, the reason – I shouldn't say the reason but at least a a central element of Easter Easter weekend is not to get people into heaven but to create a new people of God which is made up of Jew and Gentile together. So I th- there is I think there is definitely a communal element to Paul. The thing is that it, that gets missed all the time, mm-hmm. and we reduce Paul to well, it's by grace; it's not by works. Yeah. And this um, this is just my theory. I think I think this goes back. In my opinion, this goes back to Walter Rauschenbusch and the social gospel movement. Uh, you know, the late nineteenth century, where that was denounced by fundamentalists as being sort of, this is salvation by works. (laughs) And I think that's the bee that people have in their bonnet. They think, you're talking about, we are saved by doing good works. Mm -hmm. And then you you mentioned before Matthew 25, which sort of seems to say that. (laughs) But that's again, you're saved by works, but what are you saved for? Is it is it going to heaven when you die, or is it for something big that's happening here? You know, like Zacchaeus right up in the tree, and Jesus calls him down, and what he gives half of his stuff away, right? And truly, salvation has come to this house today. I don't think Jesus is saying, "Thank goodness, now when you die tonight, you know you're going to heaven." There's something. There's something else happening there, and I think the word communal,
2: mm-hmm.
0: not just individualistic, but Look at what he did. He did a community he did a, an act of Mishpat <laughs> of justice and righteousness by giving away his wealth yes to people who may not have had it, right? Mm. And I I th- I mean the the short way of putting this, I think a lot of what's behind this is a very common Protestant reformationally driven individualistic reading of Paul. Yes. Right, and and getting past that, I think is a huge, huge hoop because and it's in you know, a Paulianity, as you said before. That's that's very much my experience, um, you know, in in past uh, communities that I've been a part of. It's you preach from Paul because t- Jesus tells stories and does stuff, but the lessons come from Paul.
2: Hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah, it, it, exactly. And one thing I would like to say, you're right. What I meant was a misreading of Paul. Right. Um, And and you corrected that. It's not that Paul is so individualist because he's not, because Paul Paul is working for the good of the community. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I think that, I also want to say that I I agree with you because as Crossan and Barr point out in their book, um, The First Paul, and I think they do such an extraordinary job, Paul was essentially a mystic who was concerned about God consciousness, you know, he talks about going up to the third heaven and all that, and, it's, and in all of his scolding and his teaching and all of that, it's like he's trying to rid people of things that would keep them from understanding, uh, from from growing in God consciousness, mm. um, not 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 uh, preparing them to uh, to ascend to heaven, you know, necessarily, but he's concerned about the community growing. God consciousness, I think. I also want to mention one other thing. In addition to what you um, pointed out, and so the, with Zacchaeus, the reason why Zacchaeus, you know, gets gets the nod is because uh, it's like Jesus saying, "Yeah, you get it, Zacchaeus. Right? You understand the the foundation of the kingdom of God, which is, or the sovereignty of God, which is relational, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm.
2: right. In the community." He's giving everything, you know, to the, to, to the poor. And the British young ruler, Jesus says, give your wealth, give your wealth to the poor. He, you know, he doesn't say get on your knees and, uh, you know, and stay there for 40 days. He says, um, do things, show love in the community, show love to your neighbor in the community. And that is what gets one closer to God.
1: At the at the risk of of maybe wading into some controversial waters here, you, earlier mentioning the the politics of it, I wonder too if there's there's a in our current climate. You mentioning critical race theory, Pete, and some other things. I, there's just these layers of maybe a, the, a fear of the how we get there leads to people not even acknowledging the what uh, meaning. If we were to acknowledge that the Bible really does advocate for social justice, which, again, seems like it's not that problematic of a thing to say. It's kind of baffling that that's still a a challenging thing to to admit for people. Um, But if we're going to say that, usually then there's this, like, assumption then – that we have to be a democrat in America like that's the political party you're going to affiliate with and that can kind of turn people and it, it it also assumes that you're you're going to be a communist or whatever these um sort of the political layers that get laid on top of now maybe that's right maybe that's not right but i just think for people it is hard cuz it sounds like for in their communities if they were to look at the biblical witness look at the prophets look at amos and to say you know what guys i think Maybe there's something here to this whole social justice thing. They're immediately going to be labeled a quote, you know, a Democrat, a communist. There's all these labels rather than uh, simply letting it be, and then saying, "Okay, what does it mean for us to do this now and to do this here in our local community, maybe, or in in these smaller ways?" Do you get the sense too that there's just a lot of labels being thrown around and not a lot of conversation of, you know, how do we how are we faithful to the biblical witness, maybe in new and fresh ways?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think I think, uh, I think I'm, I'm following you, and and when we speak of, for instance, critical race theory, I mean, of course, we know that almost no one who talks about it has any idea what it really is. I mean, it's taught in law schools and graduate right. schools. Right, right. <laughs> and, uh, and never could be show up in, 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 in grammar schools. But something like critical race theory is about, it's about talking about in, injustice, right, with a view toward, toward rectifying, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's biblical. I mean, that's basically biblical, for instance... Jeremiah 22 says, Thus says the Lord, act with justice and righteousness, mishpah and sadaka, or we are translated, act with social justice, which is a defendable translation. Um, Thus says the Lord, act with social justice and deliver from the hand of the oppressor anyone who has been robbed, and do no wrong or violence to the alien, the orphan, and the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place. Now, <sighs> <laughs> you know critical race theory is is concerned, Um wants to get to the po- it, first it's about delivering folk from oppression right one aspect of it deals with reparations well then it says deliver from the hand of the oppression anyone who has been robbed will certainly <laughs> the enslaved were, were robbed and those in Jim Crow were robbed right and do no violence of to the alien or the the immigrant, right? Um, I mean, this is just so so basic. This is one of many many passages in, in the Bible that 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 really is seems to be telling folk, telling those who are protesting for justice, social justice, that is telling them to do what they're doing, as long as they don't you know don't cross certain boundaries of excess and injustice themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I mean, so it's 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 so so very so very basic, I think, and you you can find it all all, all over. You find it Isaiah, twenty eight. See, I am laying in Zion a foundation stone, and I will make justice a mishpat, the line, and sadaka, righteousness, the plummet. So w- wait a minute. So what's the problem here? He says the <laughs> <laughs> what the measure, of. Uh, uh, what well, we should be measuring our actions by, what the foundation stone should be justice and, and doing justice in society or social justice. This is very, very basic. So if, but those who want, particularly, let's point to the right-wing. Right-wing evangelicals, they ignore this. They don't want to understand this rightly because their concern is not justice. They never mention justice. They never mention love the neighbor. They're concern is to uh, at at least maintain uh, the balance of power and privilege where it resides now and not to hear anything or or be held to account in any way for excesses um, that have occurred in the, in the past that they continue to benefit from.
0: You know, and and uh, I, I would throw maybe into that mix a, a different kind of problem perhaps that there are many Evangelicals who may not even be aware of the nature of the problem. Well, yeah, I, I mean, was going to say. I think like, there are some who are very intentional about this. I think others just they just they've never heard this before, right? And H- hence the podcast, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I, the only thing I would say is it, that made, just tying some pieces together. I think in some ways, the if the gospel is only go to heaven when you die, it's sort of uh, pretty. Um, coincidental that that really means kind of stay out of our affairs here on earth it it just sort of it's a distraction in some ways of like yeah if we just get people to think that you know, and again, it's not like there's these, you know, twirling mustache evil people at the top of these things usually. usually. There are some. There are some, usually, yeah. um, but it's just a whole system of, of maintaining power that has this distracting theology of, well, it's, no, it's really just all about go to heaven when you die, so we don't really need to worry about disrupting, you know, upsetting the apple cart here. So, I think those go hand in hand. You know, this is
0: a big commercial for why the Old Testament is important. I think, you know, I mean, because a lot of, you know, there's stuff in the Gospels too that that you bring out in your book beautifully, um, Aubrey, but, you know, the Old Testament has, there's a lot of culture and society happening and, you know, Israelites are ruling themselves and the kings aren't being just and people aren't being just to each other. I think in, especially with Paul, it's pretty clear he was convinced that we're not going to be things are going to change rapidly. Jesus is coming back any minute, right? And maybe the focus isn't quite on how do we live here and now, how do we focus on the thing that the prophets focused on that Jesus had so much to say about? And again, that's no fault of Paul's, I guess, but, but um, you know, if, if, you know, the evangelicals we're talking about now, if, if they had a robust embrace of the prophetic literature, it may give us different things to think about, but it's hard to get sound bites out of a few hundred pages when you can just, you know, pick a few verses in um, In Paul, I guess, and it's, a lot comes down to just how the Bible's used, I think, for some people. but
2: I think you're right, and you know, of course, when I speak of the right wing have a joke, because I am generalizing, because I agree, there are many uh, who are wrong, but they're sincerely wrong. Yeah. They believe those who mislead them are telling are t- telling the truth. Though I must say, I don't know what percentage that is because, the, you know, their rhetoric yeah. is very, very hateful.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. And, and in many ways an anathema to the gospel. But also when it comes to the prophets and overlooking the proclamation of the prophets, I, I also, I think, though, that that is, well, part of that is because so many are taught that the, you know, that they really don't need to know the Hebrew Bible because, you know, all they need to know is Jesus uh, and Paul. But also, some of the, the statements of the prophets are just too challenging for yeah. folk who don't want to get involved in in the dirty business of trying to make this world uh, mm-hmm. more just. I mean, many folk come to the church just looking to be justified. Uh, some come looking to be um, entertained. Some come... To be uh, able to to feel righteous, and you know, we don't. I I don't know how many folk are involved in, are serious enough about Christianity, serious enough about the gospel, to really want to make a difference in this world. It's this individualistic thing. I'm looking out for myself. I'm mm-hmm. working out my own salvation, and uh, so again, it it comes it comes down to me that mainstream Christianity as a dominationist uh, underpinning by definition.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Folks subscribe to that un- unbeknownst, but I wonder how many folk would call themselves Christians or at least be involved in the church if they really knew how revolutionary they are supposed to be in this world.
0: And how threatened it would, how threatening it would be to do that. And I, I'm, I'm channeling here, we've had guests on over the past few years, and I, I didn't come up with this myself, somebody else said it, but how you know, the marginalized are going – their ears are going to perk up when they hear the words of the prophets. Those who are not marginalized may not be as inclined to hear it and I think part of this is, uh, you know, economic privilege which of course is tied to the history of racial issues in America as well, it's it's a it's such a complicated mess, isn't it? Over all these things that come together, but um, I, th- I think your main, your point is a very important one the the revolutionary nature of turning things upside down. You mentioned Luke, you know, Mary's song about turning the world upside down. You know the the the, the first, you know, the rich will be you know, down and the down will be up. You know, that's uh, the 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 beatitudes, right? Um, the, those those are aspects of the New Testament that I think speak really, not just the old, but the, you know, the New Testament as well that speak to this revolutionary nature. And you know, on that, I wonder if if you can comment a bit on you know, we mentioned social ju- justice, but also social activism. Is Jesus a social activist in his day, and, and if so, how? Can we l- talk about that, flesh that out a little bit for us.
2: Yeah, 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 that's a good, good question. Before I do, I just want to make this, this comment about those who, um, who might read the biblical prophets and might recognize that they are making very hard charges against them but they think that they don't apply it to themselves <laughs> mm-hmm. few people see themselves in the position uh of those the prophets are speaking to and that's how they can
0: <laughs> we're always on the good side huh? we're, you know we're never the pharisees we're we're always the other ones in the new testament right we we're always on the winning side okay got it all right
2: <laughs> you know was 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 Jesus um Involved in social activists and uh, concerned with social social change. Well, you know, Luke tells us that in what he portrays as the first uh, the first um, sermon of Jesus, per public oration of Jesus, that you know, what does Jesus said? The spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news or bring good news to the poor, and that's the concern of that's a social concern, but when he says to bring good news to the poor, what's good news to the poor? That there's going to be change and structural oh, change.
0: It's not that they're going to heaven.
2: Uh, good <laughs> news to the, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, he says.
0: Don't worry, you'll die one day and then everything will be fine. Right, they, right. They're, they're, no. It says right.
2: bring good, but well, the, the way we know that it's not just spiritualized, because later he says to bring liberation to the oppressed. Um, he yeah. uses the, the, the term thrao which means press down, oppressed to bring liberation to the oppressed. All right, now that that is what's, that is oppression in this day. He's talking about social change. He's speaking as a herald of social change. And of course, um, good news to the poor is is structural change, that the structures, the laws, um, um, the relationships, the attitudes that make people poor and keep them poor, that they'll be transformed. It's not It's not like this, this prosperity anti-gospel where Some you heard me say anti-gospel, uh, the prosperity Mm -hmm. anti-gospel where some people get lifted up while others are still poor. No, no, no. It's about changing things in an equitable way. But not only that, um, Luke tells us that Jesus talks about blessed are those who hunger and thirst, dicusune, justice, hunger, and that's it's translated as righteousness, but it also means justice. Mm -hmm. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. In this world, I'd say social justice. He tells John the Baptist he must be baptized to fulfill all justice, right? All dekesune, all justice. Um, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake or for, uh, for you know, dekesune, for for justice' sake. And, you know, I I mentioned in my book, you know, the uh, uh, Christians Against Christianity, rather.
0: Yeah, I forget the titles in my books, too. Don't worry about Christians (laughs) Against Christianity.
2: Well, Nick Waltersdorf says, he writes, My own reading of human affairs is that righteous people are either admired or ignored, not persecuted. People who pursue justice are the ones who get in trouble. And that, I mean, that just. That's in a nutshell. That that Mm -hmm. makes sense. So Jesus is not saying, well, those who are personally pious and uh, who are so holy that butter won't melt in your mouth, uh, blessed are you. Say, no, those of you who Mm -hmm. stand up for justice in, in, in this world, and he's concerned about the poorest and the least of these, it makes sense that that is what he's talking about. It only makes sense. It just doesn't make sense to those who don't, want who refuse to look more deeply at the mean.
0: And and it makes sense in in light of the fact that there was a lot of poverty and hunger. But it isn't just like, you know, a few people in ghetto somewhere you don't have to worry about. It's it was very pervasive. So it was a constant problem that people simply didn't have enough.
2: Oh yeah. I mean we he talks about that more poverty more than anything, right? Is is uh Mary talks about it in the Beatitudes, right? When he's he still has I mean in the Magnificat, Jesus is, is yet in her womb. And she's talking about the hungry being filled with good things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's important, and I just want to stress again, in uh, in, in this in this parable, in which Jesus um, in Matthew 25, 31 and following, he ends by saying, um, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment. But the and the term there again is Dikisune, but the just ones, not the righteous, but the just ones into eternal life. And so he's concerned about justice and about the state of society. And he talks about that more than he talks about anything else. And definitely more than he talked about, for he more than he gestures about um. In afterlife, but he says, if you're going to go into doing in, in, the key to eternal life is to work for justice in this life <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: and that's 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 the key to understanding the gospel I think mm-hmm. I think right. if we look at love your neighbor as yourself and we look at this passage in Matthew to me that gives us the crux uh the core uh,
1: of a gospel mm. I think that's a wonderful place to, to end as we kind of move from the Hebrew Bible into the New Testament and then Jesus' emphasis on this. And, you know, for me, I would just say one thing that I really appreciate is I appreciate that you you swap out the word justice when we see that word righteousness because I do think we have this pietistic lens and it also kind of doesn't mean a lot like in my mind i didn't really i kind of glossed over that a lot as a kid i didn't really know it felt very abstract but to think about justice in those instances just makes a big it makes a big difference and jars us out of our regular reading just enough to maybe see the bible a little differently, so maybe as we as we leave, you know, Aubrey, is there anything else that you would give as sort of a, a words of wisdom for people, maybe who are just now waking up to this idea that you know maybe the Bible does have something to say about social justice, maybe it does have something to say for how we kind of go about our our lives and community and in society? Is there kind of a uh, you know some practice or, or simple step or just something that people maybe can take forward as they continue to grow in this?
2: Well, I, I think that. What should be kept in mind is how foundational this notion of justice and doing justice in society is. It is the it, it is the foundation of the biblical uh, witness in the sense that it is what we it is the ethical fo- uh, formulation that we find more than any other in the Bible, even in Psalm seventy-two in what we understand to be an inaugural psalm, the prayer is, endow the king with your mishpat, your justice, O God, the royal son with your sardaka, your sense of doing right by people in society. May he judge your people in sardaka, your afflicted ones, with mishpat. I mean, he's saying that, what it's also saying here is that those who are in positions of power and governance, that they have a responsibility to be concerned with those in need. But more importantly, what they should have as their guiding star is this whole notion of social justice, doing justice by people in society. And that shows just how foundational it is. It's foundational even to the extent that it tells how those in government, should, how governments should act. Mm-hmm. And so I just want uh, to leave that. Anyone who takes seriously the biblical witness as a guide for action in the world, the way we act in society, should really take seriously that justice that must be seen as analytical. In other words, we can we analyze our actions and, and analyze policies and uh, we analyze acts that are going on in the church and, and in society as to whether they comport with the notion of biblical justice. And it's prescriptive in that it tells us, it prescribes how we are to act and what kind of laws and policies and actions that we should get involved with and that we should prevail. So I'd like to just share that. And I'd like to thank you for this discussion about my book, then. Uh, Christians against Christianity, because uh, I've tried to put my heart, and soul into this into this effort to raise consciousness, so we mm-hmm. can stand against the depredations of those who are so m- misleading people about the gospel to the point that they support <clears throat> politicians who are doing, who lie and cheat, and doing the exact antithesis of what Jesus taught.
1: Sorry. Well, thanks again, Obery. Just, again, appreciate your articulation of justice and, and righteousness in, in the biblical text, and I think a lot of people are going to learn from that. So, thanks again.
0: And thanks for writing the book, Christians Against Christianity, too. So, great to have you on the podcast.
1: Thank you. Great to be with you, gentlemen.
3: You just made it through another entire episode of The Bible for Normal People. Well done to you. And well done to everyone who supports us by rating the podcast, leaving us a review, or telling others about our show. We are especially grateful for our producers group who support us over on Patreon. They are the reason we are able to keep bringing podcasts and other content to you. So a big thanks to Brandon Stuthyte, Clyde Howell, Evan Colley, Jeff Bills, Joshua Edson, Mark Graham, Nathan Kelly, Rod Markin, Steve Golston, and Karen Klassen. If you would like to help support the podcast, Head over to patreon.com slash thebiblefornormalpeople where for as little as $3 a month you can receive bonus material, be a part of an online community, get course discounts, and much more. We couldn't do what we do without your support.
1: Our show is produced by Stephanie Spate, audio engineer Dave Gerhardt, creative director Tessa Stoltz, community champion Ashley Ward, and web developer Nick Striegel. Copyright 2021. The Bible for Normal People. All rights reserved. In other words, no copying or you're in big trouble.
2: For Pete, Jared, and the entire Bible for Normal People team. Thanks for listening.